0: Well, well, well. Happy Friday morning to everyone. What do we have here? Yes, that is not. For anyone watching live on YouTube, can't wait to see the comments stroll in. If you're just listening, you're like, what is Norlander going on about? Why is Norlander... Oh, wait, did Parrish say that he had to go to the dentist? That's correct. If you're watching live on YouTube, that's David Cobb, CBS Sports writer, making his Eye on College Basketball podcast debut the morning after the most absurd ending we've had so far this season in college basketball and we have so much to get to and i can't wait to see the viewers in real time react to the fact that Parrish is not on this (laughs) he's not on this show and they're gonna be like wait who is this dude david say hello give your life story in 25 seconds
2: yeah. Hello. Um, you know, first off, uh, I'm not Gary Parish. Um, You can see that by this beautiful head of hair that I have here. There's one distinct difference between Gary and I, although we both are from the uh, Memphis metropolitan area. Uh, so well, we have some some similarities in our background. Actually, uh, both worked at the Commercial Appeal uh, prior to coming over to CBS. Uh, for me, I covered the Grizzlies uh, for about a year, year and a half uh, as the beat writer. Um, I have a background in college sports though. Covered Tennessee for the uh, Chattanooga Times Free Press for a couple years, football and basketball. And uh yeah, so I've been with CBS for a couple years now. Avid listener of the pod. And uh, Matt, I think it's um kind of disappointing actually that uh, no shouts to Devin Downey. I mean, no shouts to uh, leaky black. We're just yeah, not nah, gonna talk nah, about nah, animal
0: fighting. Nah, I don't do that, Shtick. No, this is uh we're gonna we're gonna change it up a little bit it's here. Gary. I, I, hey, listen. The handsomeness quotient of this podcast has skyrocketed this morning, just out of this world amazing. So again, if you are not already subscribed to the YouTube page, uh, please make sure you do that. And if you are watching right now, if you're watching in real time, click the like button. See, here's how this works. Parish never explains this at the top of the show. If you click the like button, hit that thumbs up, it boosts the engagement. It gets more people that could be watched. That might be just... Strolling around the streets of YouTube at 10 a.m. on a Friday morning wanting to hear about Rutgers beating Purdue at the buzzer, it might, you know, flare onto their radar. However, the YouTubes work, right? Whatever. It boosts the channel. So please like it if you haven't already. Of course, ding the bell. Subscribe to the channel. There will be a link in this podcast episode. Nada will put it in there so you can subscribe. The best way you can support this podcast is to leave reviews and Apple reviews, continue to listen, but also to subscribe to the YouTube channel so that we can get Really cool things and stuff to give away to you. Ion on college basketball and CBS merch that is coming later this season. Also, we are going to eventually be doing YouTube only content, little five, 10, 15-minute uh quick bites, stuff that won't be in the podcast feed. That's another reason why you're gonna want to subscribe to the YouTube channel. And for everyone listening today, listen, no parish here. We're going to do a a, a live viewer QA chat at the end of the episode. So if you've got a question oops or otherwise toss it in the chat if not a sees a good one or two he'll send one to me privately i will also try and monitor this in real time but that'll be at the end of the episode it's a wonderful to have you here Cobb. Parrish is getting his wisdom teeth taken out i believe i had a person in my mentions refer to him as dead tooth on thursday which <laughs> dead tooth
2: i was actually mad i was kind of hoping we'd get like opioid gary on this show but yeah
0: i know well and that's the other thing one more thing before we get to Rutgers-Purdue, which I cannot wait to talk about. Um, we don't know if Parrish is going to be available on Sunday or not. His, his drug situation, his mouth situation, we don't know. Um, if he is not available, I have another potential surprise that I might be working on here. So that's where we're at. Thank you to everyone that showed up here on Friday morning to, uh, to watch live on YouTube. You are so, so very appreciated. All right. So that's, that's Cobb. Welcome to the fold. Shouts to Kyle Boone, who I know is listening and uh, Kyle gets to go home this weekend as he continues his uh, his his battle through uh, cancer. And I talked to his wife on Thursday. I've had a few people reach out wondering how he's doing, told he's doing well. But the process goes on, buddy. We love you. We're thinking of you. Okay, Rutgers, man, it's. So we go into Thursday, right, Cobb? And I'm thinking, all right, Friday episode, maybe it'll be a little bit slow, but we'll have plenty of stuff to talk about. Maybe we look, you know, one month in. Who, who are, um, Who's our coach of the year, front runner, our players of the year? And then Rutgers obliterates that. New Jersey was the center of the college basketball world on Thursday night. Purdue immediately loses as the number one team in the country. I've got some great audio I want to play, but let me toss it over to you. Uh, when when did you when did you dial into this thing? I was watching from the get go, but was this one of those games where you thought, ah, just kind of keep a keep an eye, but I don't know. And what are your thoughts on what Rutgers was able to do in having Purdue go ultimate Purdue? That program just can't have nice things.
2: Yeah, you know, so we're traveling like for the holidays, right? So I don't have my normal two screen setups, you know, my multiple games at once environment. Um, so I actually had to watch the College Football Awards Show. Uh, for for some, some some duties I had in the uh, college football room. And um I had Texas Seton Hall up on the TV, and I had the the award show on my iPad. And in my mind, Rutgers Purdue is an afterthought last night. You know, uh, it's one of those that you're gonna look at the stats on. But for me, I was far more interested in seeing if Texas um, you know could beat a good team because that was only the second good team they'd played all season last night. Uh, and then, you know, when that game ends, you got to make a decision, right? You're like, okay, eight point game is Rutgers-Purdue worth uh, changing the channel for, right? Like that's a decision you got to make. And, you know, I thought, yeah, okay, uh, it's the number one team. Um, There's nothing, there's no other alternatives really. So, I mean, thankfully there wasn't another game of interest on or else I might not have turned to Rutgers-Purdue until you know, the final 20 seconds of the game, but, you know, I caught the last six minutes of it, you know, I've gone back and kind of gone through the play-by-plays and the highlights and stuff uh, to catch up on what happened before then. And just an awesome ending for Rutgers because that program, I feel like hasn't really had the chance to celebrate what's been one of their best years yet. And so to see them get to rush the court after finally snapping the NCAA tournament drought last season, but in the COVID environment, you know, so for them to get that moment in the uh, in the home arena in the rack, as they call it, uh, pretty
0: special. That's right. It's the rack. It's the rack, and it's only the rack, not Subway Arena or whatever GP called it on the other episode. There, man, you hit on something that I talked about on HQ Thursday night. We're still in the dumbest pandemic of our lifetimes. You know, here in the Northeast where I live, uh, you know, cases are really they're they're spiking across uh, across the region. And so there's, you know, there's obviously still plenty of um, of precaution and caution out there. but uh, a lot of these buildings, a lot of these universities, like you have to show proof of vaccination to to get in. So there's this idea that at least you're trying to make it as safe of an environment as possible while returning to some sense of normalcy. So for Rutgers, to get that moment in that spot, the way that it played out was just unbelievable. Um I'm and the guy
2: who did it too, that it was Harper. Right because he's been there the whole time. Right. Like, so that was, that was amazing. And it stinks that Geo Baker, you know, was unavailable for that game because he's another one of those dudes. That's kind of helped them have their little Renaissance. And the fact that it feels like that Renaissance may be ending, you know, we don't know what Rutgers is going to do from here. You could, you know, they could go four and 16 in the big 10 or, you know, they could, they could plod their way to, you know, 10 and 10 maybe, but um, you know, for them to have that after the way November went for them. um, Yeah. That was, that was something else.
0: Rutgers had a three-game losing streak against DePaul. Lafayette, which is 296 in Ken Palm and and 2-7 this season. And UMass also was non-competitive last Friday in a a just 35-point beatdown at Illinois. There was no indication that Rutgers was going to be able to do this. This is why we love college basketball. Results like this doesn't have to happen in March. Doesn't have to happen in February. You have these moments of complete insanity they'll just pop up at any point here and again if that had happened a year ago with you know just remove purdue as the number one team just put two other teams there right and there are no fans it's still an incredible moment we're still leading a podcast with it but you have the fan element there it's incredible i'm gonna call this i'm calling it the piscataway prayer are we good with that i feel like a shot of that gravity for a program at Rutgers, which lacks significant history in men's college basketball I mean, it was either Harper's heave, which is, is solid, but it wasn't really a heave. It was a Eurostep kind a of side. Yeah, right, from 40 feet out. Piscataway prayer.
2: Yeah, and- hey, I mean, kudos to Ron Harper for for the way he executed on that play. Um, you know, he gets his momentum going towards half court as he's receiving the inbounds pass, right? Uh, I thought Purdue did a pretty decent job of at least playing, like, you know, uh, some defense, right? Like Ivy and uh, I, forget, I forget who the other guy, Ethan Morton, had him uh, double teamed. And so for him to have the sort of IQ or awareness that he could step through the way he did, you know, with that little time on the clock and get a shot of that quality off, that was uh, pretty special. I mean, just a, a really, you know, a, it was a veteran play to, to get that good of a look in that situation. And, and like, if anyone's coming after Purdue for the way they play defense there, I would say to, you know, hold off because you the last thing you want to do in that moment when you're up one is foul. And so I thought Ivy and uh, uh, Morton did a really good job of playing defense without even giving the appearance of maybe fouling. And at that point, I mean, you know, he probably hits that shot one out of 20 times and you just got to tip your cap.
0: All right, here's how this played out at the end because the, the the shot and kind of what Williams did before got plenty of run. And if you're watching on YouTube right now, Nada is bringing up the Ken Palm box score of what we had there. So, first of all, Harper makes a beautiful pass uh, to MAG uh, with, with 107 to go. It makes a 66-65 game. In that moment, Rutgers takes the lead, okay? It's the first lead for Rutgers, I think, since the first half. Travion Williams turns it over. Harper then turns it over because he tries to make that pass. He saw right. Caleb McConnell right. making a backdoor cut. McConnell hesitates. Harper, but then he lets go of the pass and it's a turnover. It was, it would have been a a wide open bucket. Purdue was asleep. I think Ivy was asleep on that play. It would have been a one point game with 23 seconds to go, but then Rutgers pressures, right? It it gets, it gets Ivy in the corner. I think that's how it goes here. Yeah. It's Ivy in the corner on the trap. Okay. And
2: he travels. Yeah.
0: Travels. So Rutgers has life again. It's, see to me it was the three or four plays before the big one it's always the story before the story right the story before the moment that leads up to it uh the ivy trap and travel i thought was the thing that made this whole thing possible there then harper makes up for the for the turnover with this silky fadeaway gets them back on top with one with uh by one point with 13 to go then painter does what he should do he he runs it to travion williams who gets it into the post as a beautiful move gets it up and in, and again, college basketball never change this rule. Do not have teams have the ability to advance the ball to half court after a stoppage and play in a timeout. You have so many more memorable, unforgettable, chaotic but, moments like this.
2: And Rutgers didn't have one; they, they they were out.
0: Correct, but I'm just saying in general, this is what because you know what this you know what this remind you know what this had whiffs of cop. This is UCLA Gonzaga in the final four. Yeah. Quick bucket for the, for the, for the, for one team. And, and In fact, it was on, it was going the same way. It was the bucket going that way. And then, and then there's no stoppage of play. Um, one guy gets the ball, brings it up the floor. And I think, uh, Suggs was 37 feet. I want to say Harper was about 40. He was, he was right on that R, right where the Jersey, yeah. uh, Jersey logo was coming from. And he hits it. And what a phenomenal, again, the pick. The piscataway prayer let's make it a thing man just incredible i've got i've got three bits of audio that i want to play for you here three of them because this is such an awesome huge moment that i could not uh give the full thing so the first one here this is brandon godden and robbie hummel and again if you're watching on youtube we don't have the video rights to this so i cannot show you the play in real time that is not allowed but we can play you the audio this is how it sounded on the Big Ten Network. Brandon Godin's call here is phenomenal. This is Williams getting the bucket to put Purdue up, and then, of course, Harper hitting the game winner. Hunter to Stefanovic. Here he is, Williams. Patient. Going to work. Got it! The answer!
1: Three seconds. No timeouts. Harper for the win! Oh!
0: Shouts to Brandon Godden for that. Notice, first of all, shouts to Hummel. He lays out on that call. Hummel isn't stepping over it at all. And then Godden lets the lets the environment take over. He's a underrated up-and-coming play-by-play dude. Brandon Godin, great call on the Big Ten Network. Okay, call number two. This is Learfield IMG with the call. This is the Rutgers radio call here. Your play-by-play guy is Jerry Reco. <laughs> Austin Johnson, your former Rutgers player, is the uh, color analyst. New to the form. He does step all over this call, but I I, I do love this one all the same. Shouts to Tim Burke, Bubber Prague on Twitter. He grabbed this. This is Rutgers Learfield IMG Radio. Here's how it played out.
1: Fanovich inside Williams with seven. One-on-one with Amore. Gets inside, puts it up, and in with 3.4 to go. Get it to Harper with three, with two, with one. Harper for the win. Go! Let's go! Ron Harper Jr. Let's go! Game winner at the buzzer! Let's go! And Rutgers upsets number one Purdue 70 to 68. Let's go! First time in program history that they have beaten a number one team. But they're gonna check the tape. Let's go. Score the basket. Ball game. Let's go!
0: And the student scored. How about I thought
2: that? I found that one last night, but I definitely didn't because that the let's goes are, are phenomenal.
0: Yes, let's go. Also,
2: like, shout out to um, shout out to uh, Robbie Hummel for not like dropping an f bomb as his alma mater yes. loses number one in the country in all likelihood. You know, when they just yes. got there for the first time in program history, oh, definitely- uh, he held it together uh, pretty well. And and fun fact about that moment as well, Matt, as you know, in a lot of these situations, I don't know what kind of cable you have, but I, I stream via uh, Fubo, and so you know sometimes a solid 45 seconds behind what's actually happening on the court. So in a situation like that, where I know we might need a quick story, I've got stat broadcast pulled up, which is very much live or close to it. And so, you know, Ron Harper, I've got his um, fadeaway away, uh, go ahead jumper like a solid 30 plus seconds before it actually happens on my screen. So I'm working that into a little you know document on the side so I can make note of it in the article if we have to write one. Well, I keep looking at stat broadcast in the final 5 seconds and I'm like, "Oh, they must have called a timeout." Like nothing, it's not showing me the game is over. But then I, I look back to my screen and the play is actually unfolding. And so in that way I was glad it lagged out because I got to enjoy it live rather than have it having it shown to me on the uh, on the live stats.
0: I hear you 100%. And when when you live that streaming life, when I like when I watch games up here in my office, I've got two, we can't see it because it's off screen, but I've got two TVs here, and I've got an iPad. But when you stream, you got that lag. So I actually don't have Twitter up often when I'm doing that because I don't want it spoiled. With this last night, they're really only two games worth watching, so I was able to, to watch that live and in real time. We have a third play-by-play call. Jake Schmeid, Jake I believe. Your moment of glory has arrived. This is Student Radio, WRSU. And my man drops... He drops a call here that is going into my audio bank immediately. This is Jake Schmied, Rutgers student, last night. Let's give it a listen.
1: Point four to go. Harper Jr. crossing that timeline. No timeout. Crossing the timeline by second heave. Oh, it's good. Down go the Boilermakers. Down the train is off the tracks. The train is off the tracks. The train is off the tracks. Down goes number one. Oh, my goodness the train is off the tracks
0: we absolutely love it jake schmied the train is off the tracks is going into the audio bank there so three huge calls um hope you got goosebumps if you're listening at home because that was uh that was incredible here let me give you a a couple of goodies from this game before we talk about fallout real quick so espn stats and info had this ron harper jr first player ever to get 30 in a game and hit the buzzer beating shot against the number 1 ranked team. Rutgers was 0 and 11 going into this against number 1 teams. Purdue joins the likes of and I saw this on uh Scott Van Pelt's Sports Center show. Uh number one ranked teams to lose on a buzzer beating shot since 2001. Michigan State did it against Indiana. I don't I saw the video of this. I don't remember that game. Uh, but the other ones I do. We are today is literally uh 10 years to the day from Christian Watford beating Kentucky at assembly hall, December 10th, 2011 Uh, Watford shot. Kentucky was number one. That was the same day as Xavier Cincinnati zip them up. So we are actually at the 10 year anniversary of zip them up. We will talk Cincinnati X in a little bit here. uh, So keep an eye out for that. You also had Illinois beating Indiana in 2013. I remember that game. And then we are a little more than two years removed from number one Duke losing at the buzzer on a play that's as memorable as almost any other non-Suggs version of the past five years when Stephen F. Austin won at Duke. By the way, teams that have lost their first game as a number one team ever to an unranked opponent. Illinois did it in 1952. Memphis State did it in 1983. I had forgotten about this one. St. Joe's. 2004 i completely i saw this last night and i i knew i knew it but i forgot i knew it. kind of deal st joe's gets to the point where it's 27-0 with jameer nelson delante west pat carroll just an incredibly fun team right they play xavier in the quarters of the a10 they are the number one ranked team in the country they promptly lose to the eight-seeded xavier musketeers and then the other team that has lost uh first time at number one wisconsin In 2007, that's not it. A couple more for you. Teams that famously got to number one and then promptly lost after getting there for the first time. Cobb, you're probably too young for this. I know. I don't know if Parrish will remember this, but he he might fake that he would. Back in 2003, Kentucky played Florida. Florida, I am. uh, Florida had never been number one before. They played them on a Tuesday night. And I think they played at Kentucky. They promptly lost by 15 points. And then when Tennessee had to play Memphis 2008. I remember that that one. That was another big one there. So um, there is a history, Purdue fans, of teams either getting to number one for the first time and then promptly vomiting all over their shoes or teams number one losing on a buzzer. Matt, I've got a
2: trivia time for you.
0: Oh, boy. (laughs) <laughs> for this.
2: Hey, by the way, I just want to preface this by saying, um, you know, for for your listeners out there who keep tally, and I, I'm an avid listener, so I'm, I'm aware of the fact that you've got some folks out there who do keep a tally. Um, you should absolutely add this one to uh, Norlander's tally, even though I'm not Gary Parish. Um, I have far more hair than Gary. Um, and I'm going to, trivia time you hear, okay. Matt, uh, when was the last time that week five of the AP poll, was, that'll be Monday, that'll be week five of the AP poll. When was the last time that Week Five brought us our fourth different number one team of the season?
0: So it's got to be that season that was recently. My brain just can't decide if that was seventeen, eighteen, or eighteen, nineteen. I'm pretty sure it was eighteen, nineteen. So eighteen, nineteen was the year that Virginia won. Um, but that is my that is my final answer. Because remember, I remember us talking on the pod. We wrote a bunch, bunch about this. There was something about that season where. I think by January or early February, we had more teams occupy the number one ranking in the AP Top 25 than any. Uh, it might have been by Christmas. So, yeah, eighteen, nineteen, 19 I guess.
2: Okay, it's a good guess because you're remembering that season correctly, I think. But in terms of the early, early, early upheaval, it was actually 2019-20. You had, let me refer to my notes here, Michigan State debuting at number one. Kentucky then had it for a week. Uh, then Duke had it for two. And then Louisville slipped in there at some point as well. So, uh, but before that, the last time it happened was 1987-88. So it's pretty rare. And I mean, unless something crazy happens on Sunday and Baylor-Villanova uh, and the voters just go nuts, we're going to have you know, our fourth number one team of the season. It'll be the third time since you know the 1987-88 the uh, season.
0: How about that? So it was one year later than I thought. That's an X for me. That's, that's, that's an incorrect answer, but, uh, but look at you stepping into, tri- no one, not just anyone can step into a trivia time situation and you did it with a plum. Deal. I'm not, not going to lie.
2: I, uh, I spent about uh, half an hour on collegepollarchive.com last night uh, coming up with that one. So
0: love it. Yeah. Love it. Um, as Cobb mentioned earlier, Rutgers does this with no geo Baker. He's out with the flu. Uh, Rutgers only had five guys. Played double-digit minutes in this game. Purdue had nine. Trevon Williams went with 21 points, 11 rebounds. Um, man, we are not.
2: Down- who is who is Purdue's lockdown perimeter def- defender? I understand Ron Harper Jr. is a is a tough matchup. Um, he, because what is he? You know, he, he's kind of that that hard size to guard, but. You know, if if Purdue in the NCAA tournament needs to lock down a Johnny Juzang or a, a Justin Moore or an Ochai Ibaji who, who are they turning to? Like, who's that guy for them?
0: Don't necessarily have one yet. Now, I, Ivy is certainly capable. He's just got to he's got to he's got to improve and really lean in on it. But he's not that's just not what he's known to be yet. He's he's he is a he's not defense optional. He is not a high level defender, even though he has the athleticism and the build to certainly get there. He's just not there yet. They don't have that kind of guy. I think they have guys who can make plays occasionally there. Um, like Stefanovic is tougher than people think, and he's not just a three-point shooter. And I think that you know Eric Hunter has decent amount of length. But to your direct question, that is maybe one key. Uh, it's one key thing that Purdue is missing. Also, I will I will note this: after Purdue started the season by getting 80 or more in every single game, it did win a week ago at home with quote-unquote only 77 and then they only get 68 here against Rutgers still the number one rated offense per Ken Palm this morning are the Boilermakers and sit at number two in the Ken Palm rankings but for Rutgers to hold man I don't know if Purdue will be held under 70 more than one more game between now and the NCAA tournament I don't I, I I, it was it was a hell of a performance for Steve Peichel and his team to get that win we're down to eight unbeatens by the way Baylor, Arizona, USC, LSU, Arkansas, your San Francisco Dons, 10-0, and 0, best record in the country, Colorado State, and Iowa State, who we will get to in, uh, in just a second there, man. But So if uh,
2: Villanova beats Baylor on Sunday, who's your number one?
0: You know what? We'll get to that when we preview the games. I got to think about that a little bit, man. But, uh, man. I just, I'm so happy we were able to start with that kind of game. And for all the podcasts for you to join for the first time, um, it's this one. I will mention one more thing. I don't know if it's been brought up in the comments yet or not. Yes, yes, yes. The clock started late. Okay. Uh, credit to Tim Burke again, because Tim Burke does things that no one else in the media can do. Um. He, he used to work for Deadspin. If, you, if, you, if you're on Twitter and you follow sports, you've seen him. He's at Bubba Prague. He's a wonderful follow there. He can literally look at a feed broken down by frames, literally the, the video frames, all right? And that, and that equates to, to time and to seconds. And so he had tweeted, there was 3.4 on the clock after Williams made the shot and the clock stopped. From the time, in real time, from the time that the ball touches Harper's hands to him releasing the ball, is 3.520 seconds. There was 3.41 on the clock, which means Harper got an extra 0.12 seconds. The clock did start late. He got the shot off. This is so minuscule to me. Like, I understand if you're a Purdue fan and you're a little, like, come on, man. But it's, I, I just can't get too up in arms about that overall. I mean, you know, Rutgers shot 50% from three, Purdue was 27%, Cobb. Rutgers was 53% from inside the arc. Purdue was 51% Rutgers outshot Rutgers was 72% from the line. Purdue was 69%. So I just can't get too worked up about the clock issue. It wasn't egregious. Was it right on it? No, it wasn't right on it, but um, that was certainly a a talking point after the game in terms of like uh, Harper had a little bit, he had a beat and he did have a beat, but it wasn't a, it wasn't so ridiculous that we should make a stink about it. Unless you're a Purdue fan, I get it. But uh, the bottom line is factually, he did get 0.12 seconds extra time to get that shot off.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have time for that step through probably. I mean, the, the Purdue defenders clearly didn't think he had time for the step through because they kind of let their guard down in that last half of the second.
0: I mean, what do you, if you're painter, you run a great play for Williams and then you, you just get painter said this in the, in the post game presser. I'll mention this and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll scoot along here talk about the other team in Jersey. But he said, listen, Gene Katie used to always say, you go on the road, you got to beat them by 10. Cause if it's close, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, chaotic and weird things can happen. That did happen to Purdue. They kept it too close, and then a guy beats you on a euro, a euro step from like 40 feet out. What can you do? Uh, phenomenal game. We have opened a Friday podcast, talking for almost 27, 28 minutes about Rutgers basketball, your family, your religion, and Rutgers basketball. Rutgers wasn't the only big team that got a huge win on Thursday night saint uh seton hall beat texas and we're going to talk about that in one second but first how about a word from our sponsors the all-new hyundai 2024 santa fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: All right, Texas loses on Thursday night. We can talk about the Longhorns being a letdown so far, certainly. But before we get to that, Cobb, We got to give Jersey its moment. Monmouth couldn't win at St. John's. So it's not the biggest night in the history of New Jersey basketball. I'm sorry. You need a Monmouth win for that to be factually true. Seton Hall wins. By the way, Rutgers is playing at Seton Hall on Sunday. We'll talk about that in a little bit too. I love the fact that these two schools are coming off of huge wins. The first time ever that both of them beat top 10 opponents on the same night. They get it done. They both get it done at home. Um, there was a number of national media. I actually almost went to this Texas Seton Hall game. It was, but from Connecticut down to the to the rock, as they call it in Newark, that time of the day, like literally probably two hours and 45 minutes in traffic. Wait, I, wait, wait.
2: So, so so the venues in New Jersey are the are the rock and the rack? That's correct.
0: <laughs> the rock and the rack. That's that's accurate. So I bailed on going to Texas Seaton Hall. It was just too much driving. I, I was so happy that I made this decision because I would have hated myself if I was in the car on the drive back. Shouts to Jeff Borzello. So you had like Ross Dane, Dan O'Neill, Jeff Borzello, some other national media members all understandably went to the game they should have gone to, Texas versus Seton Hall. But you go to that game instead of scooting down to Piscataway where there was pandemonium in Piscataway. Um, that's a tough one there. Congrats, yeah. congrats to Seton Hall. They get this win, and in doing so, further validate the Big East, further validate themselves. Seton Hall is 8-1 right now. You know, top 25-level team as far as I'm concerned. The only loss is by three points uh, down in Fort Myers against Ohio State, which won that MTE. They got to win over Michigan at Michigan. That's a preseason top 10 team. They got to win at home over Texas, preseason top five team in the eyes of most there. Pirates, Kevin Willard. Man, they're getting it done. How impressed are you with what uh, with what Seton Hall has been able to do? Because coming into the season. I think an objective statement would be going into the season. There was thoughts that Seton Hall could be an NCAA tournament team, but not necessarily projected to be a top three team in the big East, a top 30 team in the country right now. They'd certainly have that look.
2: Yeah. I mean, they lost Sandro, So my expectations for them were fairly minimal. I think my takeaway from this game is more frustration um, with Texas, but not, not in the sense of it being a a bleak situation for the Longhorns. They were my preseason national title winner. uh, Texas was, and uh, so to see them start off with losses in their only two games to date against quality opposition is a little bit disheartening. Uh, but I do feel okay about it because there's a couple of things here. One, their two quality opponents that they have played have both been true and true road games, um, Gonzaga and Seton Hall. Uh, and I, I anecdotally at least think that being on the road this year is even more difficult than in years past. After, the sterile environments of last season. It seems like student sections are even a bit rowdier than pre pandemic. And so, you know, I think it's going to be harder than normal to win on the road this year. So I'm not, I'm not panicking about, about Texas, but I am annoyed uh, that Trey Mitchell, who had his best game as a Texas Longhorn last night, uh, didn't get a two point shot attempt in the final nine minutes of the game. Um, that to me was unacceptable because he had been the best player on that offense throughout the game. He still ends the game as Texas's leading scorer and he doesn't get a shot in the paint or even inside the arc, uh, when the game is on the line, despite the fact that he was on the floor for all that time. So that was my, um uh, my, my takeaway, not to slight the, the pirates, but I mean, clearly a phenomenal start for Kellen Willard and his group, but just a little bit of annoyance, I guess, at the way Texas executed down the stretch.
0: I'll get to Texas in a second. Uh, credit to Bryce Aiken. He, a former Harvard player, he has dealt with injury issues for four years. Hits a huge three, two foul shots in the final minute of this game. Uh, just, you know, he only had 10 points, but they needed him. They don't win the game without him. He was, uh, he, he had one big three after going, I think, 0 for 7 leading up to that point. Uh, Jared Roden made some nice, nice plays as well. Um, Man, Seton Hall—they just—they just seem to have enough there overall. By the way, Texas—you mentioned Texas—they were, I think, one of thirteen. They were—they were one of thirteen from three-point range. Point 7, seven.
2: Yeah, yeah. How often are Carr, Ramy, and Jones going to combine to go one of ten from three? And that's what they did.
0: That's a good point. That's that hurts them a lot. They went real time. They went 30 Texas went 30 minutes without making a basket because it was 58 56. Then the official, if you did not see this, thank goodness. The officials had to confirm with the official scorebook about the foul situation. So they go, they do this going into a TV timeout and then they take another 15 minutes to figure this out. And this is when the, like the game was at a fever pitch final media timeout. They come you know, it didn't totally burn Texas because they wound up hitting a couple shots there, but they did go 30 minutes in real time without a made basket there, and that did not help matters whatsoever. As for Texas overall, 6-2. and two, The only two good teams they played have been on the road. I saw them in person against Gonzaga. They lost by 12. It might as well have been by double that. They played decently enough against Seton Hall, and I'm not going to you know, overreact to the Longhorns at this point, but it was a preseason top five team, and it hasn't had that look yet. All the other wins have come against Houston Baptist, San Jose State, Sam Houston State, UT Rio Grande Valley.
2: It's a light yeah. schedule. I mean, Northern Colorado. They, I think I mean, Stanford light- is like their only like non-conference game of note left. And Stanford's like, you know, 200 or something in the net. So it's like, yeah. I mean, they're not going to be able to go out in Big 12 and, and struggle and go 10 and 10 and, and just you know, think that their bid is safe. I mean, they're going to actually have to make some hay a little bit in the Big 12 because they don't have anything on their resume. Um, I think they will, though, because uh, they've got, uh, I think, a favorable Big 12 schedule because Texas, uh, they don't play um, Kansas or Baylor until the final month of the season. So, like, their first, like, 12 Big 12 games or something are against the, the, the weaker opposition in the league. And then I think as this team gels, figures out the way Chris Beard wants to play, Understands that oh, if Trey Mitchell's dominating in the paint, maybe we should pass him the ball in crunch time. As things like those, uh, like that, start to come together for Texas, I think they'll hit their stride in the final month. Or that's at least what I'm telling myself since I, you know, picked them to win the national title.
0: Hey, listen, rough night for you and me. My preseason national championship pick, those boilers. You took. Yeah, you can still feel pretty good about that one. I know I can, but you know, just losses for losses for both. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Oh, by the way, here's the other way. Like. I'm loving having you on this podcast. It's a good little change of pace. Hopefully everyone's enjoying. Don't worry, Parrish will be back soon enough. If you are if you are hopping into the the YouTube show in the middle and like, what is going on? That is that is David Cobb right there. He is one of our CBS sports writers, and he is hopping on. Parrish is having uh, his wisdom teeth removed. So uh, so we are dealing with uh, that over the next couple of days. I, I do not know if he will be available on Sunday night or not. We hope so, but we're going to play it by ear. This is David Cobb. He picked Texas to win the national championship in the preseason. We'll see how that goes. You mentioned Stanford's the last uh, opponent in non-con. Since they're in the Big 12, you got the SEC Big 12 the last week of January. Yeah,
2: Rick Barnes going back to Austin.
0: Correct. So Rick Barnes will go back to Austin. I've actually, a quick aside, I've talked to Beard about that. He's going to make that to be a huge thing, which will be really cool for Rick Barnes. Um, That's going to be an awesome weekend, but that's not till end of January. So they do have one more good non-conference opportunity. Stanford's just not going to get it done. That game is in Vegas next Sunday there. And Point I was going to make was this was a preseason top five team. Haven't lived up to that. Just haven't done it yet. Maybe they'll get there. I was skeptical all along. I did not put them in the top five. I almost begrudgingly, you know, I get so annoyed with myself when I do this. I begrudgingly put Texas in the top 10 because I talked myself into how everyone else was saying that you really can't justify not having them. I really did think that Texas was going to be closer to that 12 to 15 range, but no excuses. I put them top 10. I'll own it. They haven't looked, um, they haven't looked as, good as i thought they'd be but after having spent time with them at gonzaga you know to be fair it's not like the staff thought they'd be six and two with these both of these losses but there's a real sense that come find us the end of january and exactly. see what we look at again.
2: yeah so so look at look at beard's track record he had a, a little rock team that was awful turned around and winning 30 games his first year there uh texas tech he has him in the national title game his second year and now this uh, this Texas team, he's got uh, my only issue with the the roster construction at Texas that they don't have like an actual wing. Like if they played against a Justin Moore or an Akbaji, which they will, um, they've got guards and they've got bigs, but I don't feel like they've got guys in that six foot five to six foot seven range who would slot as a you know traditional small forward. Um, who are versatile and dynamic in that way? That's just a little bit of a an irksome quality with that roster because it's Ramy Jones, Carr, all guards. And then they've got more bigs than they know what to do with. Um, I just don't think Christian Bishop is you know versatile enough to really classify as a wing at this point in his career. So, just a, a minor beef there. But I do believe in Chris Beard. He's done so much with uh, you know in the first years of his previous tenures, and he's got enough talent on that team to where. Um, you know, I think they could still compete in the Big 12.
0: Other game of note from uh, from Thursday was just Iowa State getting the win. Um, uh, no doubt about it over Iowa. So ISU remains undefeated at this point. TJ, uh, yes or no? I'm springing this on you. We didn't talk about pre pod. TJ Altelberger, you know, four and a half weeks in, national coach of the year front runner. Agree or absolutely.
2: I mean, you you inherit a two-win team and you've what quadrupled that <laughs> um in the first month of the season. That's uh, uh really unbelievable. that's uh, I don't even know. Uh it's it's I don't even think there's a debate to be had uh, after Purdue loses last night. If we were handing out the award this morning, um, step aside Matt Painter, um, gotta be
0: Otzelberger. It's got to be Otzelberger at this point. And then Tommy Lloyd, number two. We'll see what he does this weekend, and we'll get to those in a second there. Here's where we're at conference-wise a little more than a month into the season. Win percentage-wise, this is the order. Big 12, this is win percentage. Big 12, Big East, SEC, then the Big Ten, thought maybe the best conference of the preseason, fourth in win percentage, and then there's there's a drop. ACC is five. The WCC is sixth ahead of the PAC 12. And then the American is eighth. Um, Big 12 has won 83.3% of its games in non-conference play. Big East 79%. SEC is at 77, 78%. Uh, Big 10, 75.7 win percentage. Uh, Give it up to the big 12 and big East. They've been good so far. Obviously Iowa state helps that cause uh, with the win there last night. So WCC right now, we've talked about it on the podcast a couple times before here. To me, it's it's looking like it could be a, more than could be, maybe almost should be a four-bid league. Between Gonzaga, BYU, St. Mary's, and San Francisco, we are now at 34-5 and five for those teams. They're all top 40 in Ken Palm. Then there's a drop. Santa Clara sitting at 87. Loyola Marymount, which could be spoiler – and that league is at 108, doesn't really, it's not going to have an at-large case there, but give it up to the WCC. Yes, the bottom half is going to drag it down, but the Pac-12 has been atrocious, and I think it's even money right now with those leagues who gets more bits to the tournament. Pac-12 right now has three legitimate teams. USC is undefeated. Arizona is undefeated. UCLA is 7-1. and one. And then after that, maybe Washington State will get into the picture. I think there's a chance, um, but like, you know, We're looking at what Oregon's five and four huge letdown. Stanford hasn't made any kind of move. Utah six and three. Pac twelve will probably work its way to a four bid league, but there's no guarantee of it. We could be looking at the most
2: disappointing. The most disappointing in the Pac twelve.
0: I mean, Oregon State went to the Elite Eight and is one and eight. So yeah,
2: yes. I mean, what what is happening there? I don't know.
0: (laughs) I have I have no idea. I, I. shouts to Wayne Tinkle. He goes on, and I said this at the time, I think I said it in our Pac-12 preview, Oregon State making last season's Elite Eight is one of the most random bends of the universe for the NCAA tournament, maybe the most ever. This is a team that was 10-10 and 10 at one point. Don't worry, I'm not going to harp on OSU too much here. But they were they were 10-10 and 10, uh, overall, and they wind up getting in because they win the auto bid. They beat Tennessee, Oklahoma State with Cade, Loyola Chicago, which kicked the crap out of Illinois, and then they lose by six to Houston, and now they're one and eight. He gets a seventeen million dollar extension. So yeah, they're they're a huge uh, they're a huge letdown there. Um, Big Twelve, Big East, just real quick to focus on those before we pick the games this week. Um, Big Twelve right now, here are the teams that are in good position: Baylor, Kansas, Texas Tech is seven and one. I mentioned Texas, Oklahoma seven and two. OSU it doesn't qualify for the postseason. Kind of toss them aside. West Virginia just beat UConn at home. UConn fans furious over the officiating in that game. West Virginia's eight and one. We mentioned Iowa State's undefeated. There, TCU still seven and one. David Cobb over under seven point five NCAA tournament bids for the Big Twelve this year.
2: Got to go under on it just because of the fact that only nine are eligible. That's so right. I'm going. I'm going under just kind of on a principal number there due to the fact they've only got nine that can actually get in.
0: I would also go under. Now, TCU has not played a great schedule. It it did just win over Utah. But right now, the point is, eight out of the nine fan bases have optimism that can get to the the Oklahoma State doesn't count because it's not eligible. Kansas State's really the only school right now that doesn't have true optimism that it's going to get there. As for the Big East, here's how it ranks in Ken Palm. I mentioned to you the the one through four win percentage. Right now, Big 12 is one. Again, this is with preseason bias factored in. But Big 12, as it should be, is number one. Then Big 10. A little bit of a gap, SEC, and then four is the Big East there. I don't know. Big East has been pretty impressive to me. You got Nova. We'll see what they can do this weekend. We're going to preview that game. UConn at eight and two, still good. UConn wasn't at full strength when it lost on the road at West Virginia. Completely acceptable loss. Xavier, eight and one. Seton Hall, eight and one. Providence, which has not even received a vote for the AP top 25, which is a joke. Providence is nine and one and owns wins over Wisconsin and Texas Tech. What are we doing here? It's done. Three well and
2: zero and one.
0: Creighton and Marquette only have two losses to this point. Even DePaul, seven and one, haven't played a tough schedule there. It's been it's been uh, pretty interesting. Any other thoughts on the leagues before we start picking some games, bud?
2: No, I mean it's just the the ACC's lack of anything stands out as well. I mean the WCC has them doubled up in the AP poll this week. I mean Duke's still the only team in that league in the polls. It's just what's going on there. I mean it's it's kind of sad.
0: It is. Um, all right. We're going to do final four and one. So Parrish did not. I didn't get his picks. This is going to mess up the tally, but it won't fully mess it up. I've got I've got a ski weekend planned in January. So I just won't make the picks for that episode. Paris doesn't make the picks for this episode. And at the end of the season, we'll have, I believe, picked for the same amount of games here. So Cobb picked the n one. Not asked ask that we provide these as opposed to GP normally does his four games, than mine. And the last one isn't necessarily in chronological order. These are all in chronological order. Cobb has the number three game, but we're going to start. This is a stacked weekend, stacked weekend. If you're listening to this podcast Friday afternoon, Friday evening, or you're getting to it for whatever reason on Saturday morning. um, If you are unaware, we've got some tasty, tasty action uh, around the sport here. Before we get to the games that we're going to pick here, are the games we're not picking just to be aware of Friday. Murray state at Memphis, Uh, by the way, I thought we were going to get Cobb on here and we wouldn't have a Memphis flavor. He is in Memphis right now. <laughs> I'm still podcasting with a co-host who's in Memphis. Are you going to this game, John? Um, you know, John, you, you covered the Grizzlies. You're familiar. Uh, I'm curious.
2: Hey, hey, look, Jaw's in health and safety protocol, so I can't go see my guy. He'll be watching from home, so I'll, I'll watch from home, too. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, I, I wanted to give you a shout-out, Matt, for, for bringing me on today because, you know what? Uh, you could have been like Memphis. You, you could have been um, – uh, the veteran who was standoffish towards the uh, the, you know, the the young guys on the roster, and, and you could have uh, you could have played some hero ball, some isolation ball. You, you could have, you can you know, you could have dribbled around out on the perimeter and just gone solo on this pod, but instead you 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 incorporated the freshman. So so I appreciate that.
0: I did, I did, and uh, before we get rolling on this weekend, just ro- like I'm well aware that Auburn uh, an NCAA committee on infraction decision is coming on Auburn in a matter of probably 90 minutes from when we're doing this right now. If that goes bad, I will do. I will do a solo emergency podcast on YouTube. It will also be in the feed. So uh, today is just absurd. Uh, so okay, I'm, okay. So
2: so when when it gets into the crunch time, then you take your ball. You know, yeah. you, you wave me off to the wing. I,
0: I, 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 I might. I might. In all, in all seriousness, though, Cobb. It's just me and Cobb. Paris is Paris is under. Paris is unconscious, and and Boone's in the hospital. So, and, uh, you, you might have to do a lot of the writing here, and they're going to. Like- I feel like
2: this is like Stephen Izzo, like getting the, 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 Hey, you're in and like the crunch time of like a big 10 game.
0: Uh, well, we're glad we're breaking you in on this episode because there will be, uh, we are going to mix it up for YouTube purposes. Uh, you know, mix in some KB and some, some David here a little more frequently. And uh, I think you're doing wonderful here. Okay. Before we pick the game. So that is a Friday night game. Only one of no Murray state at Memphis. See what happens there Saturday. Noon, FS1, BYU versus Creighton at the Sanford Pentagon in South Dakota. Hopefully those teams in play get a good game in and no one gets COVID. One thirty on ESPN2, Arkansas at Oklahoma. Arkansas has played a little bit of an underwhelming schedule, so that's a good test for the Hogs there. See if they can remain undefeated. 2 o'clock on ESPNU. You've got Colorado State undefeated versus Mississippi State in Fort Worth. Mississippi State was a trendy top five top six team in the SEC in the preseason if it's going to validate that it's got to win that game against Nico Medved's Rams who in my opinion are operating like a top 20 team in college basketball certainly one of the hottest teams in the sport yet to lose a game 230 on Fox UCLA at Marquette Mick Cronin does not schedule scared it's the only coaches to ever go from the first four to the final four Mick Cronin Chaka smart 2.30 Fox, 2.30 on Saturday, UCLA at Marquette. Again, the only thing we have this weekend in college football, Army-Navy on CBS. You want to make sure you watch that as well. It means the college basketball schedule's got plenty to offer. 3.30 on ESPN2. Bonnies versus UConn at The Rock. I don't quite know why this game is in Newark, New Jersey, but I do know that only Virginia Tech and UConn agreed to play St. Bonaventure in the non-conference among power conference teams. Good on Dan Hurley. He's I haven't talked to Dan about this. Knowing him, he is 100% regretting this decision right now because of the fact that he's just, the team is banged up. Sonogo wasn't available. Uh, they, I think they had three guys out for that game earlier. So Bonnie's could really use this for their uh, for their non-conference resume and really their resume overall because the A-10 is only going to offer so many opportunities. That's a 3.30 tip on ESPNU. I think that one could be a, a bit chaotic there. Then 6 o'clock on ESPN2, undefeated LSU against Georgia Tech at State Farm Arena. I'm telling you right now, this is upset alert stuff. Georgia Tech's women's team just beat UConn on Thursday. The men's team is pretty good from three. And LSU just lets teams shoot from three like crazy, crazy. If Tech is hitting from beyond the arc, keep it in mind there. LSU is the better team.
2: How dare you insult the number two team in the net like that?
0: Hey, listen, is that where they are? I think Zona's LSU,
2: LSU is number two in the net.
0: They're kind of scooting under there. This is the weekend for teams that have had really good starts to really, you know, get some get some run on the Sunday pod and maybe some more national love there. That's a six o'clock tip, eight thirty on FS1. Cincinnati at Xavier, love it. This is a good Saturday here. Cincinnati, first year under West Miller, not a ton of expectation. You go and you win at Xavier. If you do that, you change the whole dynamic. the The paradigm shifts on Bearcat Nation if they can get that win. Xavier's the better team. Xavier should win. But the point is, West Miller has been able to bring in more optimism. And I think just um, positive vibes for that program in the first year, the first five weeks of the season. And I think even Bearcats fans thought that's a really, really cool thing. And then two others on Sunday to be aware of Virginia tech plays at Dayton at Dayton, normalize this good on you, Mike young don't schedule scared. Dayton's a little down. Yeah. It's a little bit of a dangerous game, but if you get the win, you get a valuable non-conference road win. And then 4:30 on Sunday, Florida is going to play Maryland at the Barclays center. Shouts to Adi Joseph, our managing editor. He will be in the building for that. Those are the games we are not picking. Now it is time for the final four and one. I told you, we have a stacked weekend here. Saturday, noon on Big Ten Network. Wisconsin at Ohio State on David Lighty Court. Ohio State is favored by four, according to Ken Palm. What is your pick, David Cobb?
2: Yeah, um, I've got Ohio State minus four. Now, do you want you want me to give you any reasons why? Or Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. Uh, um, I like the fact that, um, Ohio state should be able to draw Wisconsin seven footers away from the rim a little bit and open up the floor here. Now, I mean, it's not like Ohio state has a bunch of really uber talented guards who can get into the paint, but, um, I think it's going to make Wisconsin really uncomfortable when EJ Liddell and Kyle Young start putting up threes against their, their seven footers. And, and I think Liddell certainly can, uh, use his outside shooting ability to, to, uh, draw those seven footers out and then, and then drive around them and, and get to the hole.
0: I like it. Succinct fast. We'll make this pick segment faster than normal here. Um, I will take. I'm going to take Ohio State in this spot to cover this number. Um, Wisconsin has been fantastic. Johnny Davis has to be on the short, short list. I'm talking National Player of the Year candidates through the first four and a half weeks of the season. I'm talking top three, top four. He's been he's been terrific. Wisconsin coming back down 22 at home against Indiana, matching a program record. Um, it, It showed a ton there. It really did. But I, I like Ohio State in the spot, and I like that number. So give me the Buckeyes to uh to cover. Um, Ohio State, by the way, looking to do a three and two against NCAA tournament level teams if it can get the win here Saturday. Man, there's a lot of good games. This is my favorite game of the weekend. Saturday, five Eastern on Fox. Arizona at Illinois on Luther Head Court. Arizona is a two point dog. That's right. Illinois is favored by two in this game who you got
2: uh, i'm going to arizona straight up how about this matt uh both of illinois's losses this year are to 1st year head coaches uh marquette and shaka smart and uh, cincinnati and west miller i think tommy lloyd uh makes it three uh and three against uh the first year coaches because uh i mean let's be real nobody's playing better in the country right now than, than arizona
0: arizona has the largest margin of victory on average of any team in the country over 32 points a game. They score more a game than anyone else, north of 90. They aren't allowing opponents to score 60 a game. Uh, I don't have the net rankings up in front of me right now. I believe Arizona is number one in the net now. After what Do happened. they have a
2: case, Matt, to be number one in the AP poll if they win this game?
0: That's correct. So let, for, first I want to play this. This is Tommy Lloyd. Uh, this is what uh, he said. I guess this got Illinois fans a little bit fired up. Um, cause it was shared out of context. This is what Tommy Lloyd. I love, I love this drop here. This is what he said about going and getting a win on the road, Arizona coach, Tommy Lloyd, this is a 22 second clip here.
1: I mean, there's nothing better except playing a McHale when it's full of going on the road and kicking someone's ass. I mean, there's, there's nothing better than that. And you know, it's, it's a, it's going to be a, a, a huge task and, and I'm not, we're not going in there cocky. We're not going in there arrogant. We're going in there knowing it's going to be a great challenge and we're, Hopefully, going to be up for it.
0: Love it. Love that. Uh, I, I I love that spirit from Tommy Lloyd here. These programs have a history, obviously. Um, the most famous one being in two thousand and five, but they met previously in the tournament there, and they've met recently as well. Uh, I just this is the kind of game to me, Cobb, where these these programs to just make a point to try and play each other every three to five years or whatever, or do a home and home, take a couple years off and do it again. They just, they are congruent non-conference schools and brands. They're huge. Yeah. In my opinion, both top 20 jobs in the country. I love this. I also love the matchup here. uh Kofi Coburn has been terrific, almost kind of quietly terrific to this point, but he is going to get an intriguing matchup in this game. Cause Arizona, yeah. yeah. come on now, Christian Coloco He's seven one two thirty. 230, a different kind of big. This is this is a fascinating game.
2: Yeah, and, and the thing is Arizona can throw a different, like they can throw two at him. They can bring Omar Ballo in. They got three dudes that are, you know, that can reasonably defend or at least attempt to defend Kofi Coburn.
0: Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And then like Benedict Matherin shooting sixty percent as a wing from two point range this point this season, thirty-four percent from three. Arizona's um Weakness, if you want to call it that right now, is that they're just they're pedestrian from beyond the three-point line. We'll see if that if they can overcome that defensively. They're very, very good. They here's the thing: they're great on defense and they play fast. They love to play fast there. Illinois. Not a plotting team; they're just more kind of an average tempo team. There, we've seen what Alfonso Plummer's been able to do. He's been a big step up guy. Illinois Twitter lost its damn mind when he had a huge game earlier this week. Did Plummer when Illinois beat Iowa? And I tweeted out that that Alfonso Plummer has been what I thought Andre Corbello would be, and by that I meant he has been the game changing player, uh, you know, alongside of Kofi Coburn. Um, Illinois fans thought that I was saying that Alfonso Plummer is like the exact same kind of like point guard. I don't know people take this stuff way too seriously. That wasn't the point. Dude is an automatic scorer. He's hasn't missed a foul shot this season. He's twenty eight for twenty eight. fifty eight percent from two point range, forty three percent from three point range. He has been huge because Corbello hasn't been available due to issues with a concussion there. So you know keep that in mind. another factor with this. I do love this game. who did did you make the pick? Who did you pick?
2: Yeah, yeah, I went Arizona. I got him, you know, against the spread and straight up. I think I think my my prediction for CBS. Uh, for our post is going to be Arizona 88, Illinois 81.
0: Give me Illinois in this spot at home, but I'm not confident about it. Uh, I will take Illinois here. Arizona on the road, biggest ch- challenge yet uh, is a is a big one. All right, the next game is your pick. Do you want to read it or you want me to set it up here?
2: No, yeah. I mean, I I went Kentucky-Notre Dame, which on the surface, given Notre Dame struggles, doesn't look like it should be all that compelling of a matchup. But given the fact that it's at Notre Dame and that, uh, Matt, this will be uh, Kentucky's first game against a top 100 Ken Palm opponent since the season opening loss to Duke. S- yeah. Since that time, they've only played one team in the top 275 at Ken Palm, and that was, that was Ohio. So I, I think this is a, a more challenging spot for Kentucky than you might think just by looking at it on the surface
0: i would had uh, Oscar Shiboy was in my lead for the court report on Wednesday. He's averaging better than 15 points and 15 rebounds per game. I talked to Shiboy after they won over Southern. He maintains, he, like, he said in the preseason, he wants to average 20 rebounds a game. I think that's a bridge too far. Averaging 20 in the modern college landscape at a power conference program, the, uh, that used to happen in the 50s and 60s and even into the early 70s. I don't know. I, can he get to 17 or 18? He He's like, I'm guaranteeing I can do it. Credit to him.
2: Yeah, I read your core report. It was really good. And I respect his interest in that facet of the game because if you're, if you're talking about skill sets that are going to make you marketable in the NBA, eh, rebounding isn't exactly at the top of the list. And so I for know. a guy to be that hungry to go and get boards, it does, I think, make a huge impact still on the college game. I think it's undervalued still in the NBA. Um, so I think he's um, maybe in the eyes of, of a niche population adding value um, to what he does. Uh, I think most scouts would tell him, focus that energy on expanding your, you know, your shooting range. But um, it's it's cool to see a guy really embracing that that element of the game.
0: I agree. Uh, give me Kentucky here. At least Cal's playing a true road game. This one, I believe, makes up for, I talked to Bray about this over the summer. I think they got this game because they had to cancel or post push back the Michigan deal across the pond. So I think this is what subbed in for it. Kentucky fans will know 100% sure. Um, I'm glad that Kentucky's just playing on the road. Notre Dame's not as good as Kentucky probably wanted it to be, and in that way it comes to be kind of almost tricky. This is, by the way, this game is on Luke Herringote Court. Fourth game, Saturday, 10 Eastern on ESPN2. I'm telling you, we have a stacked weekend, folks. Houston at Alabama on Jamichael Green Court. Alabama's favored by one. Who you got?
2: Michael Green, great former Grizzly. Um, yeah, so going Houston uh, to uh, to win and, uh, and cover. Uh, I got him winning this one by about four. Here's the deal. Uh, we all know Houston's got one of the best defenses in the country. Alabama's lead guards have been a little bit turnover uh, prone, and I think Houston's going to be able to k- keep them from getting in that spin cycle of uh, driving and kicking and getting all the open looks that they would normally be accustomed to getting.
0: Alabama was the third ranked team in defensive efficiency last season. Not quite that good so far this season. Houston right now, number two in defensive efficiency could be the best defensive team. Kelvin Sampson could be, don't know. We'll have to see that he's ever had, which is really saying something because his teams obviously love to really grind you out. Alabama has a back-to-back AAC situation going on. They play Houston now on Tuesday. They will play against Memphis there. So we'll see if they can go two and 01 and one-on-one or own two against the American um, Houston does seem like a legitimate team again, Doesn't yet have a top 50 win. This is a big spot here on the road. I have to take Alabama. Their their four-guard attack is too good. I do think this will be a little bit of an ugly game. Again, we're looking at Saturday, 10 Eastern at night on ESPN2. Give me the tide to cover. Last game, Sunday, 3 Eastern on ABC. This is the most high-profile game. You've got Villanova at Baylor. Neither of these coaches schedule scared. Again, running theme in in today's episode here. This will be on... Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler court. Got to give both those dudes their due. Jared Butler was actually technically the final four mop. It should have been Davion Mitchell. Baylor won the tournament for many reasons, but Davion Mitchell at the, at the tail end of it was the reason Baylor on its home floor, undefeated, trying to play for the number one ranking. And we'll get to that question you posed to me. It's favored by four points. Who you got?
2: Well, I mean, I know Gary has a lot of respect for Scott drew and Amy drew and Homer drew and Bryce drew and, for all their children and uh, pets and, and and all that. So uh, w- with Gary being out, I'm going to stand in here uh, with more hair than him and say Baylor uh, wins and covers uh, the four-point spread. My concern with this uh, game from the Villanova side is they don't have an elite rim protector. And if you go look at the numbers, Baylor gets more of its points inside the arc than you might expect uh, for a team that has as many quality shooters as they do. So I think they're going to be able to get into the paint and finish in the paint Against Villanova.
0: Uh, hold on, I got I got Bryce Drew on the line. Bryce, you got what are your thoughts on this game? This is Bryce, and I don't care. Okay, fair enough, man. Well, all right, understandable. I'm going to take Baylor to win and to cover. Uh, Villanova, if it were to win this game, would have a case for number one, but I don't know about that. There's other results that are going to impact this. Um, uh, but give me Baylor here in this spot. Cobb, the point you just brought up is an excellent one. Um, by the way, this is the third meeting between these schools. And they met already in this calendar year. Baylor won easily in the Sweet 16 back in March. Baylor also won when these teams played in November of 2019. They won by nine, which impacted what you brought up earlier, the rotating cast of number one teams Mm -hmm. early in that season. That game also factored into that overall. Baylor has been quietly awesome. This will be its moment to kind of return. It's not like it's been completely off the radar, but let's be honest, Cobb. Has Baylor been getting the kind of recognition that a normal undefeated reigning national champion would get in this situation? Doesn't it feel like they haven't been kind of getting their press so far?
2: Yeah, they've flown under the radar. I mean, their biggest games were in that battle for Atlantis. It gets lost in the shuffle of Feast Week and, you know, the weird times that those games start and stuff. But, I mean, they've been legit. Uh, Kendall Brown is, like, unbelievable as a freshman. He takes, like, five shots a game and he makes every single one of them. And then he he makes a lot of impact plays defensively. Uh, Baylor's been... Really, really good. Again, despite losing Mitchell, Teague, and Butler, I mean, it's just like my 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 one concern um, with Baylor and, and the Big Twelve in general. I think the the team that wins the Big Twelve, it'll be it'll go to the coach that can controls their chaos guard the best. Think about think about Baylor, James Akinjo. Yes. Like he makes some spectacular plays, but he also turns the ball over like three plus times a game. Um, then you look at Kansas and and uh, Remy Martin. Yeah. Like Bill Self it, it openly acknowledges that like this is a different kind of player, you know, and then I think you can even take that same comparison to Texas and Marcus Carr and somebody who can be a little bit, um, I don't know, like he's used to kind of running the show, you know, at Minnesota. So those three guards and the way that their coaches utilize them and and corral them, I guess, would be, I think, a huge deciding factor in the way the Big 12 shakes out. Look at
0: this analysis and evaluation you're getting from David Cobb on the podcast right now. If you're listening, please go drop a review or two. Give David some uh, some props here on the Apple podcast. Let him know. If you're in the comments, reminder, if you have not already liked this episode on YouTube, go ahead. Click that like button. Let's increase our, uh, our awareness and presence there. Those are our five games. I said I'd answer a few reader questions. I'm going to do that right now. But a couple of quick notes before I do that and close out the pod because we're going – I got to admit we're going longer than I thought, but I promised you I was going to do a live reader Q and a, and I will live up to that. Um, Kansas, Missouri does return this weekend, which is wonderful to have back. Missouri is just trash. Unfortunately, Kansas will probably win by 20, but at least we get that game back, that rivalry back. It means a ton. I saw Jesse Newell report that, you know, the student section camping out situation was busier than any other game so far this season, kind of recently aside from like super high profile games. That's great. Um, Washington-Gonzaga is not getting played this weekend. Washington has lost a third straight game to COVID issues within that program. And from what I understand, most if not all the players um, were vaccinated. So that is uh, troublesome for Washington, which is is – I'm not saying it's dodging. It's missing all of its high-profile games. So I know its fans are, are certainly frustrated there, and Gonzaga loses a non-conference opportunity against a power conference opponent. I'll be a little bit of a, an underwhelming one, and then one other, just tiny note: Little Rock is technically is leaving the Sun Belt to technically join the OVC in 2022. That got announced on Thursday. Again, Auburn news is going to come down soon. If you're listening in real time, live on YouTube, I'm guessing I'm going to need to do an emergency podcast situation, and that is going to be coming soon. Okay, a few reader questions. Um, first one uh, says, "Hey Norlander, got a question for you? There's been a lot of talk." about how the ACC is down this year and in recent years what do you and GP why do you and GP think that is recruiting might start here i can't tell you what gp thinks because he's not here is the ACC down it absolutely is unquestionably um why is that to a certain extent, maybe recruiting. Yes. I would argue that a little bit has to do with scheduling as well. You have had, it doesn't help the situation. Let's, let me put it this way. When you have schools that are in the top half of the conference and they simply decide and 2020 doesn't count. I'm, I'm removing the pandemic from this situation altogether. Um, they simply opt out of playing one or two other really good games and and mix in a buy game there that has downstream effects. It has downstream effects in terms of where you get seated, how many teams might get in overall. You've also had coaching turnover there. It has been one of the bigger mysteries though. The ACC should never be the fifth best team in college basketball. That's where it is. As we sit and talk here on this Friday morning. Um, and there's no guaranteeing that it'll get, it'll get back to that upper echelon anytime soon. We wait and see how North Carolina will be under Hubert Davis. We will wait and see how Duke will be under John Shire. Um, Virginia is hitting a lull this season. Um, I don't really have concerns, big picture, about Tony Bennett getting together, but this is the worst season in nine seasons for them. Wake Forest had a coaching change. Syracuse, we just talked about them on the last episode. There, where are they headed as a program? You know, Boston College is never good. Notre Dame is in the final years under Mike Bray. Pittsburgh has not found any kind of consistency under Jeff Capel. NC State, kind of just there. You know, they need to be more in that top half top third of the league. I, I think that's one of those cases where when NC state is good, it's not that you know college basketball is better when NC state is good. I'm not saying it's like one of those things. It's not like the Steelers are good and the NFL is amazing or anything like that, but it certainly helps the presence of the league. Like there's something really to be said for a great fan base there to kind of complete the triangle, if you will. And NC state just hasn't been that, you know? So Florida state has been good for the most part. Some of it has been to do with recruiting. Um, but you know, the true answer, I don't think anyone has, but it has been, uh, a, a little bit vexing there any quick thoughts from you Cobb, on that
2: no you nailed it and the thing i would point out as someone who also covers uh football the the football side of that league is struggling as well i mean clemson had a down year this season and it immediately tanked that conference's chances of competing for a spot in the college football playoff so there's some larger scale issues i think that need to be addressed there and uh you know it's a shifting uh you know conference landscape and, and that impacts both of their you know high, high revenue sports and uh, the, the TV deals that they're in, at least certainly from the football side, are not doing them any favors because it's, it's putting them behind the eight ball and the ability uh, to compete. And I would assume some of that trickles over into, into basketball as well.
0: I'm seeing a question from Patrick Cassidy in the chat saying, what's your beef with Jeff Goodman, Norlander? I have no beef. Jeff Goodman is obsessed with me. He is in love with me. He cannot resist this. And so it is what it is. What do you want from me? Um, but, you know, he, he, just, he just cannot help himself. Um, another question here. Recently, the NCAA has experienced high recruiting turnover, like one-and-dones. How do you think this has affected the sport? Do you think this has been a positive or a negative? I think it's a more positive than negative. It's one of those deals, like, it is what it is. Um, you get superstar players. It helps college basketball to have Zion Williamson, Kate Cunningham, Trey Young go back, Carmelo Anthony, Kevin Durant. These are superstar players. They're, not, they're often not the only ones. There are second, third, fourth-year players that become superstars, that become first-team All-Americans. We get that often as well. I'm not going to completely go off on a tangent because I want to wrap the podcast pretty quick here, but I think it is somewhat gaslighting to suggest that college basketball has fallen off of a cliff because the average sports fan lacks the capacity to follow the sport because a bunch of dudes aren't staying for three and four years anymore. College basketball used to have Five percent of the television inventory that it has now in the 80s and early 90s. And this idea that back then college basketball was the number two or number three sport in America and was you know, riding at highs that we see the NBA at today is just not true. As far as I can tell, talking to people who are there, it's just not true. Yes, it did have superstar names that stayed for a long time. But this sport is followed literally by tens of millions of people. Is it as popular as college football? No. Is it as popular as the NBA? No, is it as popular as the NFL? No, that's okay. It's st- it's never going away. So I don't I don't fret over this. And I think it's be, it just it is a default lazy talking point. This idea that because you have superstar top five level picks going into college basketball and leaving after seven or eight months, it is killing the product. Think about it. What what it would be otherwise? One, you wouldn't have the names. That's not good for college basketball. But two, the sport always produces stars no matter what so by the way the two two of the three most high highest rated non-football broadcasts of 2021 college basketball games any thoughts cop
2: no you nailed it uh the other thing too you'd rather have them going and playing one season in college basketball than going and doing g-league ignite or going to australia or going to uh the, uh, in, uh, the overtime elite you know so Uh, the fact that you got some one-and-dones in college basketball, I think is a good thing because it means it's competing with those alternative
0: options. All right, last one, then we'll get out of here because we're going on 70-plus minutes. Rutgers, man. Wow. It really went long there. Um, Norlander, when did you get your first love for basketball and college basketball in particular? The very first memory I ever have of college basketball, first one, is being excited for UNLV in the title game in 1990. My parents wouldn't let me stay up for it. This was about the time I was really starting. I was big on Cubs and Bears when I was young in the 80s. Walter Payton, Andre Dawson, all that good stuff. Then Jordan starts to get really good, and I get interested in the Cubs. Like, I have vivid memories sitting, leaning against, um, what are those pillows called with the little arms? Husbands. Leaning against the husband in my parents' living room watching. My parents let me stay up to watch Bulls-Lakers. 1991 finals. Vivid, vivid memories. Uh, Right before that, though, I wanted to watch UNLV play in the championship. My parents wouldn't let me. I remember waking up the next morning asking who won the basketball game and thinking, like, UNLV, that's a weird combination of letters and, and you know, discovering a love early. And then once we got to, like, 92, 93, I was obsessed with the Chicago Bulls. And rightfully so, I was far from the only one, but I'm a white kid living in the Northeast at this point. And then the college basketball love kind of came organically. To be honest, a lot of it was SportsCenter. Re- reruns in the morning, Dan Patrick, Keith Olbermann, then Craig Kilborn. Love it. Kilby, love it. And so ACC tournaments, all this stuff. Dick Vi- I remember Dick Vitale, uh having a huge influence on me. And so that was kind of it. You know, I lived in Vermont. I wasn't at a Division one hotbed. I actually did like Kentucky in the mid-1990s. That 95-96 Kentucky team is my favorite team of all time because it's, it's really the team – that made me love what college basketball could be, what it was. Ron Mercer. I was trying to be Ron Mercer in my driveway. So um maybe in an offseason episode we I can go on an even deeper dive there. But that's kind of the start of it. That's uh, you know, around eight, nine years old, wanting to watch UNLV. I think the first, I think the first Final Four game my parents ever let me stay up and watch was uh, 93. Cause I watched the Weber timeout. I watched that in real time. That was, I definitely remember that one. I can't remember if I ever watched the Duke ones in real time or not, but that's me as we wrap cop. What about you? What got you into basketball? How did you, Yeah, actually, you?
2: Kentucky, Kentucky had an influence on my interest in college basketball as well. So I got a lot of folks in Kentucky and they tried to indoctrinate me at an early age with the, uh, the cat's paws Kentucky basketball yearbook uh, that they would give to me every year. And so the first uh, year that I paid attention to college basketball was the year Tubby won the national title. They beat Rick Majerus in the uh, in the national championship game with Scott Paget and uh, Hashimu Evans and uh, those guys. Um, And that uh, we had it recorded on VHS. Um, So I didn't have cable until I was like in middle school. And so anyway, I I watched that Kentucky uh, Utah national title game so many times. And then of course one shining moment. Honestly, I'm not just saying that for the CBS brand. Like had a huge impact. Um, on like just uh, understanding the the big moments of of college basketball and what they mean and then I guess the 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 other one that I probably did in my driveway more times than I can count is Bryce Drew's you know shot for Valparaiso to beat Ole Miss I mean I just yeah that that's an iconic moment you know from college basketball in my childhood that certainly had an impact on on the way I saw the game.
0: Man, I could do three, four hours of a podcast on where I was and reactions and reliving certain huge basketball moments between the ages of basically like 10 and 25 for me. 10 and 40, why not? Um, Hey, Cobb, you passed the audition. Great stuff here, man. Absolutely. Look at Nada putting the shouts to on the YouTube. That ain't happening, my man. Not my deal. The only shouts I'll give right now is to Kyle Boone. Parrish literally is unconscious right now. They're in his mouth. Dead tooth. (laughs) Thank you to everyone for listening and for watching on YouTube. Please do subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go give David Cobb some nice comments in the Apple reviews. And I could be doing an emergency podcast less than an hour from now on Auburn. My anticipation is that will be the case. Bruce Pearl, remember, Auburn self imposed postseason ban last season. We'll see if the Committee on Infractions winds up. uh, hammering them again, or giving any sort of punishment to Pearl. We'll wait and see on that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We appreciate you. And uh, another episode coming soon.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.